0: Strange Brew Podcast, Season 1, Episode 64. The Brewers lose a series in St. Louis. We get to witness some early season Cardinals devil magic and an injury to Wade Miley. They get set to continue the road trip tonight against the best team record-wise in Major League Baseball, the Rays in Tampa. We'll talk about that and that Miley injury. Starting rotation a bit in shambles right now. I do have a source inside the Bucks organization, and this source, which I can't name, unnamed, Seems to think the head coaching move is coming soon and believes it's heading in a certain direction. We will discuss that as well as some NBA. The Heat, as Elaine Bennis would say, the Heat, my God, the Heat. They did it again. Road one win in Boston. Crazy. We'll also discuss the PGA Championship second major of the year and Martha Stewart, 81 years old, on the SI swimsuit cover looking like a stone cold fox. Let's go. On the ground, a chance here, Durham, to Hardy, to first, It ties. The Brewers yes! win! Yes! Here comes Melvin to the 25, to the 20, Gordon 15, 10, 5, touchdown, Wisconsin, record-breaking run! Morgan, to smash up the middle, face it to center, here comes Gomez, around third, a throw on the Brewers win! Here's the snap, he looks, he throws! And, complete. Complete. and there is your Super Bowl dagger. Booker the drive, gets inside, leans in, backed away, it's stolen by Holiday. Phoenix has to foul, and a tentacle foul throws it down. Swinging Fly ball. We've got a room at the top of the world tonight. The Milwaukee Bucks are NBA champions. Yeah, I actually blogged about the Martha Stewart cover on the SI Swimsuit Edition on Thursday. What is today? Friday? Thursday afternoon, we put that blog up. I'm happy to see that the SI Swimsuit Edition is still a thing. It's I was thinking of today. October. (laughs) It's Nudie Magazine Day. I remember when that was a thing when I was a kid, and obviously it's a heritage issue and it's been out there for, what, 50 or 60-plus years? Has it been as long as SI has been out there? I don't think it's been as long as SI has been in publication. Sports Illustrated, the first-ever issue, featured Milwaukee brave third baseman Eddie Matthews, the first-ever cover of SI. Fun fact for you. I don't believe we were seeing SI Swimsuit Editions in the late 50s, but maybe at some point in the 60s. I'd have to go and see when the first one actually was. I was just happy it's still a thing. It just feels like one of those things, like the Victoria's Secret fashion show, something like that, that is going to be from a bygone era. Although, that sounds like it's coming back. But it is still out there. They had four different cover models this year. And Martha Stewart, 81 years old, like I said, looks Fantastic. And I've always had a little bit of a thing for Martha Stewart. I believe we all have. As I said in the blog, she is and has always been an objectively good looking human being. When you see Martha Stewart, that's a good looking human. And they actually released some of her older, I guess, modeling photos. Remember on Twitter, maybe five or six years ago, all of a sudden those sprung up. And there were photos of her in her early 20s. They looked like modeling photos. And she's always been, like I said, very attractive. But that only emphasized the point. But I've always had just a little bit of a thing for her. Most of America has. She's a good-looking person. She cooks a killer meal. She has that stern tone to her. That soft but stern tone that I find attractive. Well, she looks great on the cover of the SI Swimsuit Edition. That, I guess, is out this week. I always thought that was something that came out in winter, at least when I was getting SI. I did relate that story as well in the blog. If you are someone who's into the SI Swimsuit Edition, I believe all of us remember the first issue that we got. I remember it with vivid recollection because I did have, when I was a kid, a subscription to Sports Illustrated for Kids, which is also a thing that I learned during the writing of yesterday's blog. I thought that would have been gone too. There's a whole staff out there writing SI for Kids still. That's good. But I had that when I was 7 or 8 years old because I was always sports-obsessed. And SI for Kids, I don't know if it still is this way, but it was just a really colorful magazine, a lot of graphics, a lot of pie charts, a lot of easy-to-read, two- or three-sentence articles. And then in the middle of every SI for Kids, they had nine trading cards that you could rip apart on your own. And I see those actually on eBay from back in the day if they're in mint condition and they're rated. People are selling those for a pretty good chunk of money. I'm sure I bended them up and destroyed them somehow back in the day. But they had always had nine trading cards in the middle of it, too. I don't know if that's still a thing. But like most kids, we're all in a hurry to grow up, and you all want the adult stuff. You all want the adult magazine, and you want to drive, and you want a job. And I don't know why you want that as a kid. One of the great mysteries of humanity is why when you're a kid, all you want to do is grow up. And the second you grow up and realize that it's not all that it's cracked up to but you want to go back. One of those weird things of life. But I wanted the real issue. I wanted the real Sports Illustrated. I wanted the stories on extramarital affairs and steroids and juicing and the cigarette ads that used to be in them back in the day and Joe Camel and all that kind of stuff. I wanted all that. And finally, my parents broke down. I was 11 years old, and I don't know how I remember this specific detail of the story, but these are things that occupy the space in my brain, which could be occupied by something useful. I forget my snack at at home on my way to work two or three times a week and I but I remember this. I remember opening a box on Christmas morning 1995 and it was one of those Cole's boxes. So I thought it was close, something that I was going to say, "Oh, that's great," and then toss it aside and hope for more Sega Genesis games. But it turned out in the wrapping in the box was an issue of the real deal, regular Sports Illustrated. And it had a cover shot of Tommy Frazier. Remember when Nebraska was a good college football program? Memories. And he was a Heisman candidate, maybe won the Heisman that year, and they were on their way to a national championship. But he was on the cover of it, the Fiesta Bowl preview that year. And I was just so jacked up. But at no point in that moment or any moment until I went to the front porch and pulled out the swimsuit issue about a month later – Did that connect in my brain that you will be getting the swimsuit issue now that you have the subscription to SI? And I tell you, when I walked out to the front porch, our mailbox was on our front porch. It must have been late January that following year because that's when it did come out, January or February. I guess they come out in May now. They come out in summer. That makes more sense, I guess. But when I went out there and I just reached in for what I thought was going to be a regular old Sports Illustrated issue, which I was excited for anyway. And I pulled it out of the mailbox, and on the cover was Tyra Banks in a bikini. I just about, I perked near fainted. Weak knees, oh my God, oh my God, that's right. And it all just connected. Every every synapse in my brain put it all together. That's right, this is a yearly thing. And now that I have the real subscription, I'm going to get this every year. Now, as I said in the blog, and it's true, the Catholic guilt, I was raised Catholic, and the Catholic guilt, that's a real thing eventually ate away at me. I looked through it, obviously. I mean, come on. Ran up to the room and paged through it. But then eventually my Catholic guilt got to me, and I said to my parents, oh, you should probably know (laughs) that I have this swimsuit edition. And after a little bit of conversation, it just seemed like, yeah, that's really not that big of a deal in the grand scheme of things. And every year, every subsequent year, I got the swimsuit edition. But I will never forget that moment on the porch of reaching into the mailbox, thinking I was getting a regular issue of SI, and pulling that out instead. Just an, um, phrasing probably was not great there, but just an amazing, amazing moment as an adolescent young man at 11 years old when I had that happen. But yeah, that was out this week. They had four different models, and Martha was one of the cover models. That used to not be a thing back when I was getting these. It was always one or two cover models on all the issues. Now I believe... There's four or five every year. They do one regular SI swimsuit model. A celebrity like Martha is on one of them. They try to divvy it up. But that was big news, trending news this week. She looks great. All right, let's talk. Where do you want to start? Should we start with the Bucks? Because I do have a little insider information. I'm not saying this is a 100% stone-cold mortal lock of the century. But I do have a couple of people that I know that work in the Bucks organization in their comm department. And the rumor that I'm hearing or the direction that they believe this is heading is not with Nick Nurse and it's not with Ty Lu. Although we got our first actual tangible Nick Nurse rumor from Woj on SportsCenter last night that when Bud was fired, Nurse was the guy. And we talked about that on the podcast after Bud was fired. Nick Nurse was the most logical candidate. That was the guy that almost every Bucks fan wanted. He has the title credential, went through Bud and the Bucks to get that title, and then things went sour for him, kind of like they went sour for Bud, although the Raptors saw their win totals fall off, and the Bucks never really saw that. Just playoff success became a bit more elusive in the last couple of years, and injuries were a part of that. But similar to Bud, things ran out of steam in Toronto, and he was fired this year. But that was the number one name, and it felt like the most logical move and the move the Bucks would probably make. But as you may have noticed, if you follow anything on Twitter, Bucks related, the Bucks are interviewing everybody, every single person, assistant coaches, head coaches, TV analysts, Mark Jackson. They interviewed Kelvin Sampson, who is a head coach. Where is he? In the college hoops again, right? He was a part of that recruiting scandal at Indiana. And then I think he was an assistant on the Bucs staff for a while, wasn't he, 10 years ago? They brought him in for an interview. Everybody's getting interviewed. Dwight How gets interviewed. Interview myself? Three words. Hardworking, alpha male, jackhammer. Merciless. Everybody is getting an interview. I led the Orlando Magic to three titles in five years on NBA Live 99. I may get an interview at this point. Everybody's getting interviewed. So because of that, it became odd that Nick Nurse was never mentioned with all of these candidates coming through to interview for the job. And then finally, Woj connected Nick Nurse to the Bucks. It must have been last night. Whether that's real or not, or he's just throwing stuff out there, I have no idea. I tend to believe Woj. But that was the first actual piece of information we heard where Nick Nurse was in the same sentence as Milwaukee Bucks from a credible source. Now, from a not credible source, <laughs> hello, what I'm hearing is that the direction the Bucks are headed is Monty Williams. I can't say I'm stunned by that. Monty was just fired by the Suns. It, it, there would be a bit of irony here if after firing Bud... The Bucs hire the coach that he actually did outcoach in the championship run in the finals in 2021 when the Bucs were down 2-0. Some of the adjustments that Bud made or maybe his assistant coaches, we're going to talk about that in a second. There was a Bobby Portis tweet this week that seemed to indicate that Darvin Ham was the real brains behind a lot of the in-game and in-series adjustments that year. We'll talk about that in a second. But Bud, by all intents, looks like he did out-coach Monty Williams in that finals run. Then the next year, the Suns had the best record in the NBA, and they lose in the second round to the Mavericks. And then this year, they go all in with Kevin Durant. They had no bench after that trade, but they tried to ride Durant and Booker. Paul got injured, and DeAndre Ayton. they tried to see how far they could take it, and they were out in the second round again, and then Monty Williams is out. There is a bit of irony to... If they hire Monty Williams, bringing in the guy that Bud did out coach in the finals in 2021. I can see where Monty Williams would be a good players coach. I don't know about the X's and O's. He was the coach in Phoenix before they got Chris Paul and they were a little under 500. A lot of NBA people will say once Chris Paul got there and with his veteran savvy and how good and smart he is as a point guard and his basketball IQ that when he got there, that's the reason you saw the Suns rise, not so much the scheming of Monty Williams as the X's and O's guy. But it does seem like Monty Williams is well-respected. He's had a couple of coaching tours, one in New Orleans with the Pelicans and then, of course, the Suns. He is respected by players. He is a player's coach to an extent. I don't think that that means that he lets guys get away with certain things, but he can relate to them maybe in a way that Bud was not and maybe in a way that Darvin Ham was. Would he be somebody that would satisfy you? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. As we said on the last podcast on Monday, it's a really peculiar situation that Bucks fans find themselves in because the second that series ended with the heat, it was such an infuriating ending. With games four and five, the Bucks dominating 90% of those games and then not being able to take them to the finish line and suffering one of the most lopsided, I guess you'd say, upsets in NBA playoff history, given what the gambling odds were heading into that matchup. One of the more embarrassing series losses in NBA history, it felt, and we talked about it in the immediacy of that, it felt like Bud's got to go. We got to get him out of here. And I have to admit, the longer this has gone on, the longer the hiring process has gone on, and the more we hear candidates' names, and in my mind, they don't measure up to Bud, I'm starting to think, is Bud the best guy out there? Here's what I'm just throwing out a hypothetical it's not going to happen. I think with the attitude of Bucks fans right now on social media, and some friends that I have that are diehard Bucks fans, if the Bucs just hired Bud back, if Bud just showed back up like... Costanza, what's that scene where he quits and then he shows back up? Is that Costanza over there? If he just showed up again, I'm not sure Bucks fans would be that upset about it. The same Bucks fans that were calling for Bud to be fired in the immediacy of that loss in Game 5 to the Heat, they may just say, okay, you're paying him anyway. <laughs> and with some of the names we've seen out there, would they accept that? That's not gonna happen, but that's where we're at right now. Three weeks removed from losing that playoff series and into the hiring process. That's where we're sitting. And again, Bud's name has been connected to Phoenix. It may actually happen where they swap the 2021 NBA finals. The Suns may hire Bud and the Sun so- or the Suns may hire Bud and the Bucks may hire Monty Williams. I don't know that I hate that hire. It's sounding more and more like Tyron Lewis not gonna be an option. Bleacher Report had an article out talking about his relationship with Ballmer and how it's a really good relationship. He's got two years left on his deal in LA. He met with the Clipper hierarchy to discuss how the roster will look moving forward. They dealt with a ton of injuries with Kawhi and Paul George. And the gist of that article was that they were talking about an extension, not talking about getting rid of him. And when you have two years left on the deal, the Bucs would probably have to give up a lot to get Lou. It's sounding more and more like that is far-fetched, even though I said at the end of the podcast on Monday, that's the direction I felt it was going. That's where the momentum did feel like it was on Monday. But after reading that article that came out on Wednesday, it feels more and more like Ty Lue is going to stay in L.A., and then you're down to maybe Nick Nurse and Monty Williams and however many of the other guys they've already had in it don't seem like they're realistic candidates, but they're casting a wide net. This is the widest net that has ever been cast. This is deadliest catch wide net. But Monty Williams, from my guy, that's he feels 85%, 90% like that's the direction they are going to be headed. Monty Williams. Oh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. Just the longer this goes on and the more the sentiment about Bud changes and the more the heat when it's changing. I did listen to a sports radio segment in Milwaukee after the Heat game one win in Boston, Jimmy Butler scoring 35 and looking like prime Michael Jordan again in this run that he's been on. I had listened to a discussion after that game that said, if the Heat make the finals, and we've had this – talk on this podcast of, as the Heat move on and keep winning, do we feel any better? And my feeling was, I would not feel any better. And then I amended that on Monday and said, if they make the finals, I'll feel 5% better, at most 5% better. But if the Heat get to the finals, and let's say they win a championship, I don't think that's going to happen, but I didn't think they'd beat the Bucks. And I didn't think they'd beat the Knicks. And I didn't think they'd be up one on the Celtics. So what do I know? If they make the finals and or win a championship, And then you look back to that series that the Bucs played against Miami. And you say, okay, you got outplayed in Game 1 and lost. You beat them in Game 2. Game 3, you got outplayed and lost. You got Giannis back in Game 4 and played five bad minutes that cost you. And then in Game 5, you played another five to six bad minutes that cost you. And that was the series. But if the Heat go on to the NBA Finals and or win a championship... You look back at that and say you fired the guy with the most wins in the last five years in the NBA and a championship in that five-year window for, what, 12 bad minutes of basketball to a team that eventually went to the finals or won a championship? There's going to be some revisionist thinking there. I think it's unavoidable. It's already happening, and the Heat aren't even in the finals. And it could be that the Celtics take care of business and wake up. This is something the Celtics seem to do, this version of the Celtics. And they could win the next four and win the series in five. And then maybe it's not anything that we're revising too much. But if the Heat make the finals, there are gonna be a lot of Bucks fans that look back and say, Yeah, we might have jumped the gun there. <laughs> we may have gotten the we may have gotten caught up in the emotion of how embarrassing that loss was. And if we really had taken some time to step back from it, let's just say Bud was still the coach right now and they hadn't made a move. Would we want them to? You know what I mean? I mean, that's kind of where it's at. As the Heat keep winning and keep playing the way they did against the Bucks and are looking like they were a legit contender all along and just kind of playing with their food during the course of the regular season, I wonder. I wonder if Bud was the coach. Would we still have, if we would have let that anger subside over two or three weeks, would Bucks fans and would the hierarchy, the G of Edens and Horst and Haslam and the whole crew, would they still have that feeling of we've got to move on from this guy? I don't know. Well, Jimmy Butler did Jimmy Butler things again, and the Celtics are basically in a must-win tonight in Game 2. you got 2-0 series for the Lakers and Nuggets. That'll be 2-2 heading back to Denver. Mortal lock of the century. That is a mortal lock of the century. Stone cold mortal lock. The Lakers will win two in L.A. That will go back to Denver tied at two. That's been a fun series to watch. Lakers ran out of juice last night, but they covered. They lost by five. The cover was six. I had them on the cover. How good is Vegas? Lost that game by five. Had them at plus six. That's a 2-0 series lead for Denver as we are getting closer and closer to the finals. What else? Do we have anything else NBA? I thought there was something else we wanted to hit on. Oh, the Bobby Portis tweet. Bobby Portis was just randomly tweeting during the week about how there are so many Twitter GMs out there that have no idea what they're talking about. Then somebody tweeted back at him, and he responded to that tweet essentially by saying, people have lost their heads. All we missed this year was Darvin Hamm and the adjustments that he would come up with on the bench. So it seemed to indicate that Ham was the guy that was making in-game adjustments and making in-series adjustments. He was Bud's lead assistant. It was just an interesting little tidbit that BP threw out there on Twitter. And I had this discussion with a B93 texter this morning of, if Dar- could we get Darwin back? I don't think anymore. I think that ship has sailed. But that would have been, if Darwin was still on Bud's staff when they fired Bud, That would have been the most logical guy to slide over. He was well-liked by the players, and based on that Bobby Portis tweet, he was the guy that was changing up the X's and O's when things weren't working on a game-to-game basis. Just an interesting little tweet from Bobby this week. All right, let's talk about the Brewers. In St. Louis, they lose the series, but in my mind, the one win they got is massive. And I wrote a blog about this. We're going to do a running blog during the course of the year that's going to be called the top 10 wins in case the Brewers do something special this year. It's a bit of a word salad. What I like about it is how concise the title is. But I said in the blog, you always get these things that happen if you're a baseball or a sports blogger and you're following a team. If the team does do something fun, like win a wild card or win a division or make a championship run, You see a lot of articles that go back in time and look at the biggest wins of the year. What were the top 10 wins of the year that led to this? And if they don't do anything special or they fall apart like the Brewers did last year, then you just kind of forget about those big wins during the course of the year. I am going to try to do, I'm giving myself 10 games, and I'm going to do this in real time. I've spent one. I've spent one of my 10 tokens. I have 10 Aladdin's Castle tokens. I've spent one. I played Galaga once. I'm going to try to be as... What word am I looking for? What am I? Stingy as possible. I'm going to try to be as careful as I can to not throw out too many big wins so where I'm out of them by the time we get to August and September when hopefully they are playing much, much bigger games. But I want to do a running list in the season. Top 10 wins in case the Brewers do something special. And I would say Tuesday's win has to be on that list. That's early in the year, but if they do something good this year, if they make the playoffs, win the division, get to the NLCS, get to a World Series, win a title, that will be a game we look back at and say that was a big game. Because going into the series in St. Louis, the Cardinals had started to get it together. As we've talked about on this podcast and I've talked about on B93 The age of the fan base on Brewer Twitter that has been talking trash to Cardinals fans on Twitter about how they're in last place, about how they have the worst record in the NL, that's got to be a very young subsection of the Brewer fan base, 16, 17, 18 years old or younger, because you just don't trifle with them. You do not mess with the Cardinal Dark Magic, the Cardinal Devil Magic, because that's still a very talented team. And if you're my age and you're getting to 40 or you're in your 30s or 50s or 60s, you know that a talented Cardinal team, no matter what they look like in May, no matter what they look like in June or July, they will get it together when it matters and they will be there when it matters. So all of that trash talk is wasted breath and you're only poking the giant. Don't do it. But they had won three in a row heading into Monday. And we're 6-4 and in their last 10, and it seemed like they were getting it together. And as we talked about on Monday, if you're a Cardinal fan, you look at the division and say, yeah, we're in last place and we're 13 games under 500." but A, we're the Cardinals. B, we've got the reigning MVP. C, we've got a pretty good pitching staff and a decent bullpen. And no one in this division scares us. If you're a Cardinal fan, do the Brewers scare you? No. Pirates don't. None of these teams scare you. Maybe the Cubs for a while there in 2015 or 2016, but nobody really truly scares you if you're a Cardinal fan, a player, or somebody that works for the Cardinals. So you look at the standings, and yeah, we're a little bummed out about the way the first month and a half has gone, but we know, we know we'll get it together. And they had won three in a row, and then they come out and just pound the Brewers on Monday, 18-1, to 1, and I thought, here we go, here we go. They're six and a half back now, and the Brewers are maybe falling off just a little bit. I mean, they swept the Royals, but then you get that matchup with the Cardinals, and you want to show a little bit better than 18-1. to That was tied for the worst loss in franchise history. I forget who it was, maybe Mike Vassalo on Twitter. He put up the last time they lost by 18 runs. It was a 1996 matchup with the Yankees. They lost 19-2, to and I had to look at that box score. Some of the names in there are just, they take you down memory lane, not in a good way. Mark Newfield, John Jaha, who had a fantastic year that year. This is an interesting list of guys from the last time they lost by 18 runs. But that was another little, oh, boy. And then on Tuesday, in a 1-1 game in the second inning, Wade Miley, who's been one of your most consistent starting pitchers, he leaves the game after the trainer comes out to the mound. That was another chip of, oh, boy, here we go. Now the Cardinals have won four in a row. We're losing one of our best starters. We're going to lose tonight. But the bullpen in that game on Tuesday – Elvis Peguero, who they got in that deal with LA that brought Jansen Junk and one other guy, forget who, infielder, and Peguero. Jansen Junk has lived up to his name in the one spot start he made, and he may make another spot start now with all these injuries. But Peguero has an ERA of 1.5 or 1.6. He's 6'5". He's got a vicious slider. He looks like the real deal. We'll see how it goes the whole course of the year. As we know, not just the Brewers, but any bullpen pitcher, You can have seven, eight, nine good appearances in a row and then the wheels fall off. But so far, so good. And he brought stability to that game. He put an inning and a third scoreless up just to settle things down. They get a home run out of Brian Anderson. They get a home run out of Joey Weimer. They get up 3 2. Joel Piamps, who they got in the deal that brought William Contreras, he got out of a jam. Then you had Stress Leckie on. They tried to stretch him through two innings. He got in a jam in the eighth inning. Devin Williams came on for a five-out save. He got out of that bases or runners at the corners, one-out jam in the eighth, and then some poor defense in the ninth allowed two runners on with two outs. He got out of that, and they get a pivotal, in my mind, three-to-two win. And immediately the next day, I made it the first of ten, ten wins in case the Brewers do something special this year. Because that put the Cardinals back to seven and a half games. You took the sweep out of the equation. You took a little steam away from them, and you navigated a game where you lost your starting pitcher, one of your best starting pitchers and most consistent so far this year, where you lost him in the second inning. That felt like an improbable win. It did not feel when Wade Miley walked off that mound like there was any chance they were walking out of there with a win, and they did. And then on Wednesday, Corbin on the Hill, he was okay. There was some devil magic in that game where it was a one-nothing game in the sixth inning. Cardinals had a runner on with one down, ground ball to Rowdy Telez. easy double play to end the inning. Rowdy doesn't throw it to second because the runner was running on the grass, and if you're Rowdy and he's in the path of your throw, you've got to throw it and hit him and then hope the umpire calls interference, which would lead to the double play, the expected double play. He doesn't throw it. He steps on the bag at first instead, never attempts the double play. Next batter, two-run bomb, of course. They lose 3 nothing. It didn't really matter because the Brewers didn't score a run. They only scored four runs in the series. So it ultimately didn't impact the game because you would have lost one nothing anyway, but that was just a little bit of Cardinals devil magic there. Of Oh, yeah, of course. You don't go for the double play, and then the next guy hits a two-run bomb to dead center off of a Cy Young Award winner. Of course, because of course. They lose on Wednesday, but that to me, and this is a spin zone, but that loss on Wednesday only makes the Tuesday win even better and more important. So after that series, the Cardinals make up a game. They are six and a half back. And again, just like when you look at every other team in the division, that's the team the Brewers are worried about. They're in first place. The Pirates won. They made up a game. Brewers are up by a game in the division. But nobody's worried about the Pirates. And if they're still there in September, then I'll change my tune about that. But until that, I don't think anybody's worried about the Pirates right now to win the division. You're worried about the Cardinals. All of that, and they only make up one game. And you just put yourself in a spot where you took a little bit of steam out of what could have been a horrendous start to this road trip with that win on Tuesday. Where well, they pick up one game on the Brewers, sitting six and a half back, still in last place in the NL Central. Now, the Brewers had to figure out what to do with this rotation. This was the strength of their team coming into the year again, like last year. And like last year, they are dealing with a cavalcade of injuries. You lost Woodruff. It doesn't sound like he's coming back until at least July, 4th of July at the earliest, and that might only be the rehab starts. He's going to have to rehab at least two starts before he's back at the Major League level, and then he's going to be on a pitch count. So you're really not going to get full-on Woodruff, I don't think, until August. You're not going to get him until maybe the last week of July where you can go out there and expect six or seven innings out of him. You lost him. That's your co ace. You didn't have Ashby. He started throwing again. doesn't sound like he's all that close to coming back. And now you lose Miley. And Miley had been, along with Burns, going into last night, one of your more consistent guys that would go out there and give you five, six, six six-plus innings every start and give you a lefty presence in the rotation. Hauser came back. That does help to some extent. My guess is Eric Lauer is right back in the rotation. You're going to have to keep throwing Colin Ray out there, but... As we've talked about, the depth of the starting rotation is not there. And you thought you would have some of that with Ashby, with Hauser. Hauser was supposed to begin the year in the bullpen. That's already changed with all the injuries. But you just don't have the guys at AAA, similar to last year, where you're calling up Chichi Gonzalez and Jason Alexander and Colin Ray kind of fits that mold. He's going to keep getting the ball now for at least a month. I'm hoping they're exploring all options. I know trades are next to impossible to manufacture this early in the year and you'd have to give up a lot to get a quality starter because you're going to be getting them six weeks or seven weeks before the deadline. And because of that, the team that you would be inquiring about would demand more, obviously, in the in terms of a return for a pitcher at this juncture. There are some veterans out there. I don't know if Madison Bumgarner at this point in his career does anything for you, but there are those guys out there that they could explore. You just have to hope they're doing everything they can, like the Bucks' coaching search. <laughs> you have to hope they're doing what the Bucs are doing with their head coaching search. And looking under every rock and behind every tree to try to find somebody that can give you quality innings over the course of the next three or four weeks. Because the way things are going, and it doesn't sound like the Miley injury is good, they are already talking about multiple opinions on Wednesday, which is never a good sign that they're already going to seek out different opinions on this injury. It sounds like he's going to be down for a while. But hopefully they can find somebody to trade, find a street-free agent they can squeeze some juice out of. And you're not going to end up throwing guys like Colin Ray out there over the course of the long haul of the regular season. But we'll see. They start a three-game set in Tampa tonight. Tampa is the best team record-wise. The pitching matchups are brutal. You've got Adrian Hauser on the mound tonight taking on Shane McClanahan. Shane has a 7-0 record and a 2.34 ERA. And the Brewer offense has been scuffling. Another problem in St. Louis was the Yelly injury because, of course, he was finally hitting home runs. Finally looked like he was back, and his back tightened up. That happened during that mad scramble on Sunday, apparently, where his back tightened up on him. He played Monday, got pulled once that game, got out of control, did not play on Tuesday or Wednesday. Maybe he'll be back in the lineup tonight after three days of rest. But they have McClanahan on the mound tomorrow, Eflin, who's been great on Saturday. Brewers have a TBD there right now on Saturday, and then Freddie Peralta back on the hill on Sunday. If you can somehow win this series and get out of this with all the injuries, get out of the six-game trip to St. Louis and to Tampa at 3-3, three and three, whew, thank you, Lord. I would even take two and four, honestly. And then you've got the reigning World Series champion Astros waiting for you on Monday at AmFam Field starting a seven-game homestand. It's a really tough part of the schedule. San Francisco then for four games. Then you're at Toronto. The Blue Jays have been tremendous so far this year. It is a, a rough part of the schedule. The Brewers are just trying to survive, just survive. One game lead in the NL Central right now with a 24-19 and record. And then finally today, PGA Championship. I'll never get used to the PGA Championship being this early. Because when it's been in town here in Sheboygan and Kohler at Whistling Straits, that's August. My whole life it had been in August. It was always the final major. It's so weird to have that coming up in May. And that's how it used to be way back in the day. But it's very difficult for me to wrap my mind around the PGA Championship in May. But as we talked about after the major Masters victory that I had, not what John Rahm had. I, I was the biggest John winner that weekend. <laughs> I didn't get a green jacket. But as we talked about then, I have for many years put money on one guy to win every major. So four bets a year. I had never won one until John Rom at the Masters. It was the biggest payday of my gambling, or second biggest payday of my gambling life. And this year at the PGA Championship, we're going with Xander Shoffley. He was really in a bad way to start things on Thursday. I'm going to click refresh on here and see if we can get an update for you in real time. We are recording this at 1040 in the morning on Friday morning. And he had gone from 107th. Yeah, he's still tied for 18th. But he was plus four over his first four holes. And I thought, oh, well, we're back to what we're used to. (laughs) This is what I'm used to. This is the way I'm used to my bets on guys in the majors going. I'm not used to what happened the last time with John Rahm. But since that plus four through four holes, he's been pretty good. He's minus two so far today on Friday. He's even and only four back of Bryson DeChambeau. When my buddies were chirping me a little bit on the text line here, on the text chain, he was at 107th, tied for 107th place. He's now tied for 18th. Just give me Sunday. As I said, even on the Masters podcast, Friday going into the Masters weekend, when we were talking about John Rom. just give me a puncher's chance on Sunday. Give me three shots back, four shots back. Put me on the first graphic, even the second page of leaderboard graphics. Put me there and give me a chance on Sunday. And he's gone from 107th place to tied for 18th. Just knocking on the door a little bit. Four back. Xander Shoffley. I also have Rory finishing top 10. That doesn't look great right now either. But I've got Rory top 10 at plus 160. Xander's plus 1600 to win it. We'll get back after on Monday. If I'm celebrating another golf win, that might be it. That may be the final podcast. We may retire after that. We'll talk about the Brewers series with Tampa, any coaching movement for the Bucks, and we'll recap some NBA too. Have a great weekend. We'll chat with you then.